Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 181. I am your host, Nicholas Minix. Joining me, as usual, is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you today? I'm good. Good, good. Uh, any exciting news on the home front? Uh, I'm just fighting off a cold. It, I will not allow this to happen because the winter meetings start Sunday. And so I cannot be sick for that. I want to drink. <laughs> let, the, let it be known that it has nothing to do with the business of the baseball that is coming up and everything to do with the beer to be consumed well no one wants to shake somebody a sick person's hand that so that's that's a concern too but uh, ah, yes 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 but uh yeah i mean it's, it's just ridiculous because my child gave me a cold a week and a half ago and then he went and right as we were all getting over our the cold he gave me or he gave all of us um he went and got another one, and uh, I feel it trying to attack, but I will not let it in. Freaking nerve of that guy. I tell you, these kids are something else. Well, <laughs> uh, it can be said that you probably get illnesses from just from traveling to Canada, and that's now where Josh Donaldson is headed. Ouch, ouch, yes. Looking for something. <laughs> uh, big deal that happened, probably the biggest news that has happened in the past week. Obviously, a couple of things have happened, but the biggest deal in the past week has been that Josh Donaldson has been traded to the Toronto Blue Jays for Brett Lowry, formerly you know, his favorite player, Kendall Graveman, Sean Nolan, and Franklin Barreto. And uh, I hope I pronounced Barreto correctly. Kylie calls him, uh, according to his blog, the key to this entire deal, and, and this is according to a rival GM or exec uh, that is citing Bredo is a, a pretty pretty highly regarded but very young prospect uh, at, in, the, in the middle of infield variety. Now, obviously, it's exciting that Donaldson moves from a, a, a well from a home environment and really from several a couple of home environments in the AL West. That suppress home runs significantly, and it's the exact opposite, basically, in the AL East. Uh, I mean, I, I think that this results in like a good ten to twenty percent boost, perhaps, in the projection for his home run total next year. Am I mistaken in thinking this uh, is this a little too hasty? Uh, I mean, this looks like a really exciting move for his fantasy value. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Uh, I wonder. You know, I wonder. I mean, just from watching him, he's 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 all or nothing. It's definitely bottom ten for right-handed power um, in, in Oakland, and uh, top four for for right-handed power uh, in, in Toronto. So that that's you, you can't uh, you you can't uh, explain that away. But the thing that's interesting about watching him is that he has this big old leg kick, and he he really swings hard. Um, and I wonder. If he's kind of like a max effort guy, uh, where you know there aren't a lot of liners that'll turn into homers, mm-hmm. um, so I, I I'd wonder you know I don't want to project him too hard uh, past um, you know twenty six you know twenty nine homers 
you know, okay, I'll give him, I'll give him 30, 32, 33. Uh, and that's, I guess, I mean, that's what you're talking about. 10%, you know, just don't, don't do the, the thing that we did with Prince Fielder uh, or some people did with Prince Fielder where they're and jack it up by 10. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even if you like looking at spray charts, spray charts change a lot from year to year. I, I wouldn't uh, look too hard at those. Uh, just bump them up a couple, two, three homers. Um, you know, even when they said, you know, Granderson could have had 10 more home runs with the fences that I doubt that's true, first of all. Um, and I doubt it's true next year uh, when the, with the change in fences in New York. So, um, you know, I think these things usually happen on the magnitude of two, three, four, five homers. Of course, there's the outlier of Adrian Beltre, but... Um, of guys who know. swing from the heels. <laughs> yeah, and that's sort of Donaldson. And Donaldson told me himself that, that his one of his... Uh, the guy he emulates the most is, is Adrian Beltre. So, um, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll turn into a crazy year for him. Um you know, I, I, I tend to think that um, there's something about what he does that will lead to iffy batting averages. So I'm not going to give him that 300 batting average again. Um, and uh, even though he stole eight bases without being caught, um, it's, uh, you know, he's, he's turning 29 uh, and he's not really known for his speed. So uh, Steamer has him for 26 homers, five stolen bases. Uh, 260 average. Uh, I'll bump that to 30 homers, 100 RBI. Uh, probably still the best third baseman in fantasy. I would think so. I think the, the interesting difference, maybe it's not a difference, or maybe it doesn't turn out to be. But you probably not put your money there. The interesting difference is that Adrian Beltre, being a swing from the heels guy, still like, and I think what probably makes this more impressive is that in his thirties and beyond, uh, well, I mean, basically in the first half of the thirties decade, he's been a sub, uh, swinging, sub 10 swinging strike percentage guy. Uh, and Donaldson is right about there or a little above Do- uh, Beltre was that early in his career, but remains, I mean, is, is Donaldson going to follow that path? You would, you would think based on that type of, I mean, just because Beltre did it doesn't mean that Donaldson says, oh, well, I'm emulating him, so I'm going to keep doing I'm going to do that now. I'm going to, I'm going to swing and miss less often. Um, I, I Honestly, that's one of the things that I don't understand about Adrian Beltre's agent. Yeah, yeah, yes, he is. He is a strange one. And that's why, I mean, you, would, you wouldn't project Donaldson to keep, keep doing what he's doing or follow the Beltre path uh, because it just, yeah, I, I think in the next couple of years, I think he may have one or two more years, uh, to the sub 20% strikeout rate, but I think Donaldson's going to be, going to have a, you know, 20% plus strikeout rate. Right. Once he hits his thirties. Now, now Britt Lowry, on the other hand, Lowry, Lowry, don't put your, you know, don't get mad at how oh, I say it. I'm, I, one last thing about Donaldson that, uh, people might not be aware of, um, at least aware how stark it is. Uh, he has a platoon, I want to say issue, he has a platoon split. He has a fairly hefty platoon split. Um, so, uh, you know, at this point, I don't know how much to worry about. He's only seen 500 plate appearances against lefties so far um, versus uh, 1,200 plate appearances against righties. But that's 1,200 plate appearances against righties, and his weighted offense in that, his WRC plus, is tw- 112. So against righties, he's very close to league average. And, it, and in fact, if you look at the components, they all line up. He has a 9% walk rate against righties. 
He's a, he's a right-handed hitter. So Donaldson against righties, 9% walk rate, 20% strikeout rate, 150 ISO. Uh, that's uh, close to a league average hitter. And if you're talking about fantasy league average, that's probably fantasy league average. In it, terms of 260 on average, 330 on base, 400, 400 slugging. That sounds to me like an, an average uh, uh, hitter in fantasy if you're not talking about sort of AL only. It does. It makes me, it makes it for him. It just makes me wonder how much of this has to do with kind of the approach really affecting uh, the line drive production or that type of thing. Like you talked about, like, I don't see a lot of line drive necessarily turning into home runs, but like when you look at his components, I mean, versus right-handed hitters, he really kind of increased the walk rate significantly. And that seems to be kind of the staple of the new and improved Josh Donaldson. Um, and he had a much bigger weight runs created plus just in 2013 and obviously an inflated average. I mean, just in general, I mean, and a strikeout rate that's still around 20%, nothing, nothing to, I mean, it makes me think that overall he can still be a better performer against right-handed batters, but maybe his approach, uh, will not make his, uh, will not make his results age very well against right-handed batters. And so he's still kind of prone to, I mean, he's eventually going to be subject to this, even if even if he kind of exceeds performance uh, in that split, I think, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're saying is he's, he's very average against the team, the, the hand in his he's two-thirds of the time. And, uh, you know, how much, how much value can you get out of him mashing lefties? And in terms of his strikeout rate, you know, that 20% strikeout rate is pretty much held against righties this whole time. And against lefties, it's been 12%, 14%. You know, if that degrades at all, then then you're going to be closer to league average. But um, I mean, he's he's really mashed lefties. I mean, uh, 193 ISO his first year, uh, 295 ISO in 2013, 353 ISO against lefties last year. I mean, this is the kind of thing you got to watch out for uh, in daily fantasy. I mean, he's a beautiful, beautiful hitter to use against lefties this year um, in daily fantasy, especially in a two piece. Yeah, I think uh, he won't see. I mean, he'll see, he's the type of guy who eventually this will get around, and maybe he sees uh, he sees a little more substitution, or he sees he sees a little more specialization from a right-handed reliever. If there's a left-handed reliever in, uh, or even a left-handed starter, that might be the tipping point. Is Josh Donaldson coming up? So, uh, and you think like sometimes it's not always the case for a hitter. Sometimes a, a manager will leave a left-hander in depending on what's coming up next. But in Donaldson's case, it pretty much will always default uh, to the righty who's warming up. Uh, again, on the, uh, or speaking of the, the, on the Lowry side, I mean, we, we have talked about him on a, a number of occasions in the pod. And I mean, he's, he remains a really intriguing player. Now people are going to kind of downgrade his for, I, I imagine ballpark seems to influence the feeling on a player significant i mean that's that seems to kind of influence where people turn in oakland to some degree obviously they put together a pretty good offense for the most part in the past couple of years um so it's not necessarily true of this team but the stadium uh and the way things are changing over there there's there's always a lot of uncertainty still like i i kind of like the move as far as lowry concerned because a you get away from the turf that's not very, it could be a very, very minor thing, um, but uh, but it has been reported in the press that he thinks that you know his some of his injuries came from that turf. Yeah, and and B, um, Oakland seems to to 
to some degree, they have some, I mean, they don't do it with everyone, but, uh, and it could be just the change of scenery factor, whatever it is. And, and w without knowing more, uh, just about what the individual elements may be, but Oakland, you know, they, they have a knack for kind of turning some guys around as well. Uh, and just, I, I think, I mean, Lowry is a very talented player. Um, it, this is a kind this is the type of move that could really benefit him. Uh, no, Dave Cameron, I didn't, uh, I only skimmed that article. Apologies, Dave. But uh, I know he basically compared, you know, saying that there's not a huge loss here in terms of real world value uh, between Lowry and Donaldson. Uh, uh, of course, there's a matter of staying on the field. But even in fantasy, maybe even in the very near future, do you think that's a possibility? Well, you know, that's, we've talked about this a lot. And, you know, what, the things I still like about him are still there. But above average contact, uh, whether you me measure it by string strike rate or, or strikeout rate, above average power um, in, you know, when you look at his career as a whole, um, and uh, uh, still a little bit of speed, although last year he didn't show any. Uh, so I, I feel like, you know, the, the, those are the things that you kind of look for. Uh, also, you know, when people were talking about uh, when I when I wrote about uh, Yasmani Grandal being able to maybe uh, Devin Mezzarocco, uh maybe pull a Devin Mezzarocco and that he's sort of a post hype guy uh, settled into his position, um, you know, had good contact rates, emerging power, uh, and had better power numbers in the minors. That's those that checklist uh, that that Mezzarocco checklist has been checked by Larry. So I, I do believe that there's a little bit of power upside left. And you have to remember he's only 24. Um, Which is crazy to think about almost at this point. I mean, 25. And you have to also remember that when you see uh, him doing Edward 40 hands and and, uh, <laughs> and you see these stupid drunk pictures of Larry. I mean, yeah, he's young and stupid. He's young and stupid. He's 24. I, I mean, there was – you could t I, I have plenty of pictures. Do you want to see any of them? <laughs> Um, and they're probably about as stupid as doing duck face with, uh, with Edward 40 hands. So, um, I, I feel like, um, you know, this might be a big, uh, wake up call for him. I hate talking about, uh, the sort of armchair psychology stuff, but, um, you know, for a guy like this, who was a, 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 a top prospect in the past who could say to himself, you know, Oh, I've had good numbers when I've been out there. I've just been injured. Right. You know, to have a team say, eh, no thanks, uh, see you later, I think that um, might, uh, you know, help him dedicate himself a little bit. Um, you know, there's upside in his walk rate. There's upside in his strikeout rate. There's upside in his power. The only thing that, that sucks for him is the, is the sort of um, is the power factors. But, uh, I mean, I think if he, if he played 500 plate appearances, 600 plate appearances, um, I think easily double-digit homers, five stolen bases, 260 average. That uh, puts him on the radar in any top 12, puts him on the radar in any league. It makes him useful in any league. Um, and uh, he'll probably cost uh, non-top 12 prices or, or right there. So, Yeah, I think this, this shapes up early on as uh, coming up a good year I think to buy Lowry people are probably kind of tired of it. And this change of sceneries may not necessarily be good for his uh, park factor wise, but there are a number of other things that are still present that haven't changed. Like you said, and, and there's nothing I like playing more than armchair arm psychologist. So <laughs> I think Well, I mean, the nice thing too, about uh, taking a shot, at least it doesn't involve costume play. 
<laughs> oh no. Uh, the nice thing I think also about taking a shot at third base like this, um, and uh, and and taking a risk at third base, is that I do think that there's a nice sort of uh, soft landing um, there for you, where you know I'd put Laurie in there with Carpenter, um, Sandoval, Plouffe, uh you know Prado, Aramis, Ramirez. Um, you know, and then there's usually someone who comes out of nowhere, uh, like Brock Holt did last year, you know, um, Josh Harrison. So I, I think that if you, if you drafted Brett Lowry, even in a shallow league, if you drafted Brett Lowry and then backed him up with like Nick Castellanos or if Chase Headley stays in New York, um, you know, or, uh, Cody Ash or, or, you know, even, you know, Mike Moustakis or something, you know, I think you'd have two shots at getting a, a good third baseman next year. Um, and they wouldn't, they'd cost you so much less than, they'd give you so much more money to spend a third and, I mean, a short and second and stuff like that. So right. I, I think it's a decent, a decent plan, especially like a Laurie Prado plan. Uh, because then, you know, best case scenario, you get a starting level third baseman and then you get a starting level utility man. Uh, in Prado that you can sort of move around the infield and the outfield. Yeah, that's a good call. I like that strategy. Now, the uh, the other players here, Kendall Gra uh, Grayman, Nolan Bra Nolan is kind of a guy, I've, I've projected him a couple of years, and he's an interesting, he's always been a little interesting to me, but probably not a big fantasy piece, but could be of interest definitely in AL-only leagues. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, any, any pitcher in Oakland is interesting, and um, you know, the one thing that I said to defend this trade is that before this trade, Drew Pomerantz was you know, the starting fifth, the fifth starting pitcher for the Oakland A's going into opening day. Cause you can't count on Jared Parker. That's, that's not only is it second Tommy John, but he's not supposed to be ready for the beginning of the season. And uh, AJ Griffin's probably not ready for the beginning of the season either. So mm -hmm. Drew Pomerantz is a two pitch pitcher, fastball, curveball. You know, there's not a lot of guys who've made that work without adding a cutter or a slider or something. So um, I think there's a fair amount of risk with Drew Pomerantz. And I think that a Sean Nolan character is kind of a backup plan, uh, maybe a guy to push Pomerantz or, or, or possibly take it from him. Um, and, and he, you know, by all accounts has decent, uh, decent change in slider um, and, you know, average velocity. So, uh, you know, there, there's a possibility for him. Yeah, yeah. And between the two, if they could mesh Pomerantz and Nolan, they'd have one hell of a swing man. Um, but now Graveman, uh, I don't, I don't know very much about Graveman. Bredo is the guy I think we want to probably want to talk, <clears throat> talk about most. Uh, Graveman does have some interesting numbers from the minors. They mostly center on this great ability not to walk players. Uh, and maybe it's just, he kind of looks like a guy who can help Oakland immediately, uh, in the bullpen. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and, uh, otherwise I think we'll, we'll touch a little bit on Bredo. Is there anything I'm missing on Graveman? No, I, I think he's a depth piece. We'll see. Maybe they, they like to have guys that they can pull up and down, so he probably has options and, mm -hmm. um, you know, gives them a guy that they can call up for double headers and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, nice. yeah, I think Pareto is the most interesting one, and he looks like a guy who has a possibility for a nice hit tool, um, you know, down the line. Um, good enough a combination of power and contact ability so far. Stole 29 bases in, in low A last year. So, I mean, he has a lot of things that make people excited. I I wonder if he's going to end up in Oakland. We'll see. 
you know, maybe, long maybe way, they long way to go. <laughs> yeah. Long way to go. I mean, not only in terms of him as a prospect and will he make it, you know, his bust rate probably is pretty high right now. Uh, but even, you know, uh, for, for, uh, an executive like Bean, who's been talking about, um, you know, people overrating the future and perhaps prospects are sort of overrated. You know, I think that he could easily be the guy who goes to Chicago for, um, you know, Alexei Ramirez or, um, you know, there's some other ways that, um, the Barreto could be useful to the, to Oakland other than, you know, actually playing for Oakland. So, okay. And that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, Barreto is not even 19. He'll turn that in this, this winter, uh, and still has, I mean, age wise, also physical, physically stature wise, um, is a smaller guy. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot you can project, but there's also a lot of places you could go wrong. The player like this. And that's something way to keep in mind, you know, except unless you're in the deepest of dynasty slash keeper league type things and, uh, uh, and projecting uh, for any time in the near future. Also exciting to roll across the desk is Nelson Cruz, uh, finally finds a home in a not so friendly park, uh, moving to Safeco field with the four year, $57 million deal. I mean, I'm not sure even how to, first of all, I haven't taken a look at this and maybe that's something I will head to do right now, but uh, I'd be very interested to see what the kind of the overlay for uh, his home runs this season and last season look like compared to uh, Safeco field. And, but then you're talking about, there's also the Marine layer that adds to the, I mean, it's just, it's a different environment in Seattle. It's obviously one of the reasons that even with the changes that they made there, it's still a, a, uh, run suppressing ballpark. Uh, do you see this as? Well, I mean, how, how do you see this move? I mean, I, I'm struck as, hey, this is this is going to this could suppress his his value in the eyes of some fantasy owners. But this is a guy who also hit 40 home runs, and people sometimes forget about that. Yeah, well, I mean, the one thing that, that Baltimore has um, that Seattle will never have, no matter how much they change their 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 construction of their fences. Is, is temperature. Baltimore is, a, I think, a top three. Um, oh, it's hot. Every degree helps your, your bad balls by, you know, a couple feet or something. I, I forget the exact number. but So that's, that's always going to help. And if you do look at, at uh, Nelson Cruz's home runs, um, there are a fair amount that uh, just cleared the wall. Um, you know, I just see just just sort of scanning it down the line. I see you know four or five um, that uh, are right next to um, line drive uh, um, doubles and, and singles. Now here's uh, here's what strikes me about you. You look at his his ledger. Uh, you could look at the home runs, and I think the steamer projection is kind of right in line. But the number that jumped out to me was like twenty five. But you feel you just his home run ledger twenty nine, twenty four, twenty seven, forty. Uh, and then Steamer has him at 27 this upcoming season. Uh, and again, you're talking about different levels of playing time. Really, the the ISO and home run rate for last season were about or close to on par with what he did this year, uh, and somewhat close in 2011. But uh, the ballparks were Rangers, 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 Orioles. Uh, it's totally different. I mean, I think I think a, a projection of 25 to 27 home runs um, is perfectly in line. And it may seem egregious to some folks. Uh, or, or, I mean, this is this is. It almost seems like are we are we being too hard on him in the opposite way that we talked about right. not being helpful to Donaldson? Know. Actually, I look at that same thing, and I 
I'd say, what about that asterisk you said? That was that was Texas before. It wasn't like he was hot in Texas, in San Diego or something. Right. You know, he he has never hit in a pitcher's park uh, for most of his career. Like you know, he's never hit at home in a pitcher's park, and he's only once hit thirty homers before this year. So and the health issues have not completely disappeared. This is a yeah. This yeah, is I mean, it's like, he is thirty four. He'll be in, he'll be in his age thirty five season next year, which is probably easy to forget because it took him so long right. to break in. Yeah, he was a late bloomer, but yeah, I think I think that in some ways the twenty-seven could be optimistic because the twenty-seven mm-hmm. looks right when you're looking at it in terms of you don't think about park factors, right? Right. If you just looked at a player who hit 29, 24, 27, 40 and was turning thirty-five, you'd say, okay, twenty-seven. Yeah. But he did twenty-four, twenty-seven, forty in Baltimore and Texas, and now he's going to Seattle. He could hit twenty-five. He could hit twenty-four. Right, because it doesn't year. have the ten percent discount in there. Yeah, and uh, and you know that's in 600 plate appearances, you know, which he's managed uh, twice in his career. Um, so what if he has one of those hammy injuries or something, goes down and only hit, only gets to play 500 plate appearances? You know, around 500 plate appearances, he still managed 29 homers in 2011, but that was Texas. That was when he was 29, um, you know, so or 30. So, you know, things, uh, he can, he can be, yes, there's always the chance that people get too hard on him mm-hmm. because, you know, some of those hits that won't be home runs will be doubles. So in some, in some way you could say, well, maybe his, his 249 batting average is a little low. Uh, it's also, he's never hit 249, you know, the worst batting average he's ever had is 260. Um, so Let's say you've got a guy who's going to hit 260, 265, 270, uh, 25 homers. You know, that's going to have value in every league. And if, if people are poo-pooing him so much where, you know, he's available as a third outfielder for you. Of course. Of course. Right. Then the, but then, and then it becomes a question of do the sharps or do the people, who, do the, you know, do people want to become uh, too contrary? I mean, this it, market is going to – this is to me. That's what's most fascinating. Uh, oftentimes, when you talk about fantasy drafts, and especially if you're doing an auction, because that's what's most fun about it. Market and perception is really what's uh, to me most exciting about the whole process. And if yeah, if Cruz is the, at the right price, he's worth it. But I mean, it's not a bold it's not a bold pr- prediction to say twenty home runs or fewer next season. I don't think that's even remotely close to bold. Um, but yeah, you'll, I mean, you'll probably uh, see some of those uh, next yeah. year. Wrote about his his you know grading the park factors. A former former front office member of Seattle wrote you know Nelson Cruz is never going to hit forty again, and he said I'm going to go out on a lane and say he's never going to hit thirty again. And, and fantasy always has to be you know a little bit crazier. You know, will he hit twenty next year? I think he'll hit twenty. The, uh, the but what you're right, what you're saying is right. And you, you've got this end of season. He was the sixth best outfielder going into last season. He was the, we had him in the forty forty sixth. Um, so basically had him as a third slash fourth outfielder and, uh, third outfielder in a 15 team mixed league is still fair price, but he probably will not cost that even I would, I mean, that'd be my guess. He's probably going to cost second outfielder price. Yeah. But if he, if he hits 260, uh, with 20, here's okay. Marcelo Zuna last year, uh, he hit 269 with 23 homers and three stolen bases. That seems okay. 
The only problem is that Ozuna had 72 runs and 85 RBI and played 600 plate appearances. So he's probably going to be a little bit worse than that. Uh, let's see here. Uh, <laughs> now, granted, Seattle appears to be operating their offense, but uh, it's not outside the realm of possibility that with the dip in home runs, uh, Cruz doesn't see a, a dip in a similar kind of uh, cumulative numbers. I mean, uh, 86 and 90 in 2012 with 24 homers, and that was with Texas. Here's, here's Brandon Moss. Brandon Moss hit 234 last year with 25 homers, 70 runs, 81 RBI, one stolen base in 580 plate appearances. So, you know, maybe Cruz doesn't get to 580. He probably steals a couple bags more, hits for better average. That seems uh, like a sort of equivalent line to me, uh, possibly in projections. Brandon Moss this last year was 38th, mm-hmm. 38th best outfielder. So I do think I do think that you have to move up uh, Nelson Cruz from what you what you would have projected him going into last year. I mean, he was coming off of steroid suspension, and you know, when we made the rankings, it's possible that. Well, I think he did have a role, but you know, it, it, you know, we didn't know how he'd do his DH and what his health was like. So, and if he would stop doing the steroids. <laughs> so, you know, Moss thirty eighth. I think we can, and, and Ozuna was twenty uh, seventh. So I think what we're gonna we're gonna probably project uh, Moss is Moss is younger than Cruz. He, yeah, most of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we would probably project uh, Nelson Cruz to be about the thirtieth best outfielder next year. Yeah, that seems fair. That seems yeah. that seems pretty fair. And I think built for more than that, mostly. Yes, yeah, I would I would imagine so. When you hit forty home runs, it just it seems to drive up the cost, especially in in this age. It's because Recency bias has a, has a pretty big effect on most people's attitudes. Yeah, but people are also deathly afraid of Seattle, so I think that's going to be really interesting. That's true. It didn't have that effect on Robinson Cano, but he is a different class of hitter. In the end, he turned out basically he earned a good amount of money, even though it wasn't quite what fancy owners may have hoped for. Uh, now, Kyle Seeger is a guy who seems to be kind of uh, environment immune. Uh, Seattle did sign him to a long-term deal. They're kind of shoring up things as they bring in some better offensive pieces uh, seven years, $100 million, whatever, whether that's fair market value or not, uh, fantasy-wise, I mean, he has been a consistent performer. You talked about, and we've talked about how, like, it's not really going to get any better for Seager. Uh, and so, I mean, this is, it's just kind of, a, it's, 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 it's newsy. It's kind of a note. Uh, there's always a potential that he is now kind of a little, or maybe slightly overvalued next year. Um, but there's, uh, it, nothing changes about your outlook because of the upgrades or, much so, much more so because of uh, what Seattle seems to be doing here uh, on offense, I would assume. I don't think so. I mean, he had 96 RBI last year. Uh, there's no real uh, minor league, uh, you know, power number that you can say, whoa, he still has upside. I mean, he's 27 uh, right uh, right now. He just turned 27, so he's in his peak, so maybe he'll hit a couple more homers. But, uh, I mean... My research on Power Peak says that he's past his Power Peak. Um, mm-hmm. He does. He is interesting in that he learns hard. I mean, he's a he's a video guy. Scout, uh, you know, scouts the the, the pitchers really hard. Um, you know, tries to think real hard to get the most of his skills. I like that in terms of longevity. I don't know if that necessarily yells at me that he has more upside. You know, it's, right. it's like he's a guy that'll work hard to 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 stay where he is. If you can, if you need. You know that sort of production. Uh, it's definitely top ten most years. Um, you know, maybe top five 
for the next couple of years. I, I just don't see him ever turning out a number one season at his position. No, I would, I would agree with that. I think that that's, yeah, I, we, we've kind of seen what is Seeger's upside. He may just kind of have a career type year and that will be difficult to predict. Um, but that's not something you don't go into that by uh, buying him for that. Uh, and I think, Kind of on what you would think is the opposite end of the spectrum or close to it is in Arizona, and that's where Yasmani Tomas seems to be ending up. Uh, uh, I, I guess they haven't actually signed on the dotted line yet, but six years, $68.5 million. Those are, that's the reported figures. Um, we've talked about him pretty extensively too. Uh, positive park factor, I guess, overall. Um, I, I, I think, and it's perhaps it's something that they do environmentally down there, um, but I think we have probably started to put too much stock in what the park factor looks like for Arizona because it's really not incredibly better than uh, average, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's hot, too. Yeah. It's hot, too. And in terms of if you believe in the sort of air density stuff, it's thin air. Um, we can't, we can't poo-poo Trumbo. I mean, Trumbo had a difficult year, was hurt. So um, I do think, you know, I think it's helped people like Goldschmidt, is particularly with his oppo power. Um, you know, it's kind of it's kind of hard to to hit the ball out the opposite way. So I think it does help. It does help Goldschmidt. The problem with Tomas is that, you know, it's not necessarily will the ball go far when he hits it. Is will he hit it? Yeah. <laughs> and just. Just from sort of arm chairing, when I watch his swing, it just seems it just seems long. It doesn't seem that quick, and uh, and I'm worried that his strikeout rate is going to go up. In terms of uh, you know, we talked we've we've done some um, we talked about Davenport translations before, and mm -hmm. um, but there's there's another Davenport translation which is called Peak, um, and it's his it's supposedly the the best um, uh, that that sort of line could turn into. Um, and uh, his peak Davenport, Davenport translation is 273, 317 on base percentage, 545 slugging percentage. That was his best um, in, in Cuba. And his overall peak is 233, 269, 421 um, with 21 homers. So I, I have a feeling he might be overexpend, over, uh, he might be, too expensive. Yeah. 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 I could, I could certainly see that. Uh, and then I guess there's the question of, I mean, playing time would not be a risk, uh, obviously with this kind of investment. Um, yeah. but I, I, and he, he's, he's 23. There's going to be some, uh, some room to, for him to mature a little, but, uh, there's certainly based on, I mean, there's, potentially a significant amount of swing and miss in his game. And yeah, this is just definitively not Jose Abreu. <laughs> That's a great way to sum it <laughs> Yeah, because when Jose Abreu came out, his projections were like 300, 400, 600. I mean, his, that's what his translation looked like. His translation was the best that they'd ever seen. So even Puig's, Cespedes' translations were better uh, than this one. And uh, this... This strikes me as a little bit better than Alexander Guerrero's projections. And Alex Guerrero is in the minor leagues and may never make it. So, um, Tom, uh, and, and Castillo, Rosny Castillo has not, doesn't have great, um, translations either, 
but uh, Castillo changed his body a little bit more than Tomas. Tomas did slim up a little bit, but Castillo uh, turned into a rock and did a little bit of what Puig did. Where I don't know if you've ever seen that that picture of Puig with his arm. There was this one picture of Puig that the first picture that came out of him, his bicep looked like a big watermelon. <laughs> and uh, so I, 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 with Tomas, I don't see that much uh, change in his body type. I don't see we need to necessarily change our our opinions of him too much from what his translated numbers look like. Right. And uh, f- finally, I think the, the biggest kind of major news is going on is uh, Tory Sunner, Tory Sunner, Tory Hunter signing co- comes back to Minnesota on a one year deal, uh, about ten million dollars, ten and a half million dollars, and this uh, significant. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a good story. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what type of offense Minnesota fields. Hunter's is a player who's every year kind of discounted, and you say, "Well, he's got a good spot, and he's got a, he typically has a good spot and a good lineup, and seems to kind of evade uh, the the folks who are ready to put him in a grave." Uh, and now it seems easier to do now that he's in a worse team. But it's all, I, mean, I guess there's also potential that uh, his flaws could come out a little bit more. But overall, we talked about him as a player that has – I mean, he's worked significantly hard to change in his mid-30s and become a different type of hitter. Uh, now he's approaching 40. Uh, that there may be a way that he can continue to sustain the type of production that he has, maybe not necessarily to the same levels, of course, because you're talking a different ballpark environment a little bit and a different team context. But, uh, yeah, but you know, Detroit's not the best hitters park. Right. Um, and even with his new sort of more slap happy, you know, put the ball in play, uh, more spray approach, he's managed 16 homers the last couple of years. I think in a batting average league, um, I'm still fairly excited about him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Steamer has him going up to a 328 on base percentage next year. Uh, here is his walk rate. Uh, since 2009 in 2009 through 2011 it was 9.346 so 9.3 9.4 9.6 same every year Mm -hmm. that's you know peak sort of walk rate territory you know it's a learned skill it's something he he put on early late in his career this is the last since then 6.5 4.0 3.9 i just uh i don't see him reversing that trend so i think he's going to be you know, 310, 315 on base percentage, uh, 280 uh, batting average, uh, 15 homers. Uh, you know, I just think that kind of production is util. If you maybe have a second util slot, fifth outfielder, um, it's kind of fringe. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's fair to say. Be, I'd be curious if... But I think no matter what, even if there's some kind of discount in this, uh, as far as I mean, the the fact that there was a drastic change in his walk percentage, and there's also the fact that even in his last year in Anaheim, uh, there was a significant drop. But uh, because maybe he's one of these extreme players where he's been all, he's always been a very smart player, and uh, say you know hitting a lot in front of Miguel Cabrera, he's seen a lot of fastballs, has made con- the, the conscious effort to kind of sl- slap and put the ball more in play. Maybe he's the extreme case of uh, the data that doesn't always support lineup spot matters. Um, but even then, if you're giving him that kind of discount, uh, you're still probably asking for a lot for his a, a huge rebound and walk rate. Jeez, so though. I'm looking at the outfielders. God, I really – outfield just power and, and offense in general is so crappy. It is. Look at 
<laughs> this is this is an actual line that was the 40th 41st best outfielder. <laughs> 76 batting average, 14 homers, four stolen bases, 81 runs. God, that's a dollar that's like that's that used to be a dollar player. Yeah. Now that is a an $11 player, 41st best outfielder. His name is Nick Marcakis. I thought you were going to say Nick Minix, and I was like, well, you know, <laughs> the years have not been kind, but come on. But, yeah, that's not great. I mean, Curtis Granison was the 43rd best outfielder last year. Whew. He hit 227. So. Offense has been down, folks. I mean, I, there's not necessarily a lot of evidence to think that that's going to change. So, relatively speaking, so I guess why you can't. It's the third outfielder. In <laughs> All right, Nelson Cruz or Tory Hunter? Which one do you which one do you want next year? Uh Nelson Cruz. Okay. Okay. Uh Tory Hunter or Adam Eaton? Ooh. Uh well, because I mean, I would expect a significantly greater discount on Hunter, so I would probably take Hunter. Like I would expect to get Hunter at a dollar or a couple hours more in a, in a mixed league next year, whereas Eaton might cost five or more because the temptation. He's still only twenty stolen bases, maybe ten home runs. So I don't I don't view the production as likely or a whole. Like, Josh Reddick or Tory Hunter? Hunter, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they've just been doing a lot of platooning with Reddick, and now they have Butler at first. Moss can play the outfield a lot. Somebody in that Oakland outfield is going to get hurt. I mean, in terms of playing time. I mean, well, there, and there's, uh, they've talked. Butler's going to play against lefties in the field. His, his manager says so. The A's are by no means done trading, so let's not, yeah. uh, or necessarily done trading. I mean, Hunter or folks have expressed interest in Brandon Moss, Jeff Samarja. So there's a lot that could be different. Hunter or Diane Viciedo? Hunter. Well, now I wish I hadn't traded him away in one of my leagues, but it wasn't on (laughs) Vicieto. And that's different. That makes a huge difference. It it doesn't in the case of Viciedo, but. Uh, in, yeah. in general, and, and re- I mean, you're talking about really. I think that is probably a, that's that's a true toss up there because I think you have to like Vicieto has the promise of 25 homer power or more, uh, especially because of the ball. They don't have a job right now. I mean, yeah, and but there's also that. So I mean, a good reliable dollar player, Hunter. Um, Am yeah. I desperate for some upside? I might go Viciedo. Actually, I forgot. It's going to be draft contextual, I think. Yeah, they, they traded away Viciedos. I mean, they traded away Deaza, so right now mm-hmm. it's pretty comfortably Viciedo, Eaton, Abisail Garcia. I don't see J.B. Shuck or Jordan Danks taking away any of their jobs um, and not necessarily making Viciedo into a platoon player either. So he's actually – Viciedo's an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. He just – he's not – that good, right? <laughs> he's he's part of a pre. Uh, he's just younger than Hunter. <laughs> yeah, he's part of the pre-hype uh, wave of Cuban infiltration that did hey. see. Oh my gosh! You know we're talking about Yasmani Tomas, friggin' good comp right there. Zion Viciedo. <laughs> Look at his numbers: career two fifty average, averages twenty homers a year. Not much of a walk rate. Not much of a walk rate. Doesn't have any speed, just like Tomas. Mm-hmm. That's that's funky. 
Very nice. Yeah, people don't ever really talk about Viciato when they talk about Cubans that came over. No, they don't. That's because that's it's more convenient that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some real quick news uh, might uh, well some stuff we can touch on real quickly is just Miami trading for Aaron Crow. He missed most of last season, I think it was with a, with an injury. Uh, and certainly is a guy who is, who's fallen off the table. Uh, they talked about even the possibility of, of putting him in the starting rotation. Oh, I'm sorry. No, he spent, um, he made 67 appearances last year. So it just seemed like he was hurt. And <laughs> Brian Flynn was a, a slightly intriguing player. That's one of the players, uh, KC has received in return. Also, Reed Redman. Uh, nothing significant here. Just some things to keep in mind, I guess, for the AL and NL only players. Uh, I just, I they're so hilarious, man. The the Royals are like uh, the friggin' Twins or something. <laughs> I, I don't know what they're looking for when they when they go for. I mean, it's not it's not anything I'm looking for. I mean, if you look at velocity, average or worse velocity. If you're looking at sort of whiff rates uh, per pitch type. Uh, only the slider is about average. Maybe the sinker is average. Yeah, that's um, what I, I think is what's strange. I mean, when you talk about this trade, Crow Crow still has velocity. I mean, it, it dipped some this past year uh, significantly, so it's hard not to think that there isn't something else at work um, because he is still a reliever. And maybe they, the players they got in return are not. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Right. I'm talking about like. No, I mean they they signed in terms of the reliever part. The Crow part doesn't bother me so much, and so to get a guy who could be a starter for Aaron Crow, I think makes sense. They have, um, you know, they just signed re- Jason Frazier, um, and they just re-signed uh, Luke Hochaver. The money so, that they gave to him though is ridiculous. I think. <laughs> right. So they did give ten million dollars to Luke Hochaver, and then traded away the cheaper Aaron Crow. Uh, <laughs> But I just say, like, in terms of the guys you would ask for off the Marlins roster, Flynn just doesn't, you know, doesn't strike me as the one I would ask for. Right. I think I'd ask for Kohler over over uh, over Flynn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Flynn is a lefty, but at some point the the the, the lefty discount goes out the out the door. I mean, he his velocity is not above average for a lefty. Uh, there's no pitch that's elite. The best pitch he's got is a slider, has a 14% whiff rate, and averages 13. So, yeah, in the end, Flynn is probably a swingman. They may have just traded for Bruce Chen or something. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like Bruce Chen, Jason Vargas. I mean, Vargas is the best of the crew, but it's like, what's going on? I mean, why do you want those guys so bad? That's a, that is an excellent question. <laughs> and, and, and again, I mean, you know, they talk about the funds that Casey, I mean, I don't think anybody would be predicting KC to get back to the World Series uh, in 2015. Uh, this is a team that they talked about. They, they have to do things on a certain budget. James Shields is not a but, – but so to give, for instance, that type of money, uh, when you're working in the margins, that type of money to Hoshaver for two, Hoshaver for two years seems kind of uh, frivolous. Uh, that's – and especially when he's coming off – what is it, Tommy John surgery? So there's – Weird. Yes. Redmond – Redman, uh, Reed Redman, just converted to pitching from hitting, and uh, that's all I know about him. I mean, he, he gets good command. Maybe it's about him. I doubt it's about him. He's twenty six. Yeah, I mean that's and that's that's an interesting leap of faith as well for a converted position player. There's some data in Brooks that says he has a ninety two mile an hour fastball. 
uh, but for a righty, that's not it's not very impressive. So yeah. there have been a, there have been a bunch of non-tender players uh, included, noted uh, Justin Smoke, Everett Cabrera, Chris Medlin, Brandon Beachy. I know the Braves have talked about bringing back either Medlin or Beachy um, on multiple-year deals, but uh, so these guys, I mean, both coming off surgery. Smoke actually already re-signed a deal, uh, re-signed with Toronto, but these guys are nothing significant. Oh, I did. Smoke signed back? Yes. One year, I think $1 million deal. Uh, wow. So uh, he is... You know, the, uh, the, the, the thing about Medlin and Beachy is, uh, I'm writing actually about this for tomorrow for Fangraphs, um, Normally, uh, the best the best outcomes for non-tendered players, the best signings in the non-tender market, are players that were above average, above uh, replacement the year before. Um, so that doesn't actually include. Uh, I don't think it doesn't include Evers Cabrera. It doesn't include Justin Smoke. Uh, it doesn't include uh, Medlin or Beachy. Um, and. I think that the reason is pretty obvious when it comes to pitchers. Uh, first of all, if they if they have the player for uh, for under contract for a couple more years, then like say Medlin was uh, under team control for the Braves next year, right? Then you would pay the six million that he's due this year and hope that he's worth it next year. Um, you know when he's fully healthy. Um, I think that that makes. I'm not sure what Beachy's control situation is, but I'm sure it's somewhat similar. So, uh, so I think what's happening with these guys is they're just like, here's, here's some bad health situations, and we may not own them when they're good. And I think that's why a lot of people don't shop in the non-tender market for starting pitching. Mm-hmm. When I looked through it, the best uh, starting pitchers that came out of the non-tender market were Mike Pelfrey and Joe Saunders. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's pretty much all I got to say about that. So I, I think that uh, you know they know best. They've they've been looking at their health. Uh, they've been looking at their 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 health reports and stuff like that. So they know better than most. And I doubt that there's, I, you know, as much as everybody on the internet was like, oh my God, you got to go get Chris Medlin. Um, I have a feeling that he's going to sign back again with the Braves. Yeah. Uh, I doubt that anybody's, you know, going to give him a one year deal. They're all going to want two year deals, and uh, you know. Will somebody give him much more than two years and ten million without knowing exactly what his health looks like, and you know, sort of just going in there a little bit blind? So probably not. Uh, and the thing about that is also, I mean, even if, um, I mean, at some point in that deal, it could go south. I mean, just as likely as he is to, he could recover and be great again, and then he could also uh, get hurt again or flounder again because you're talking. And there's a lot of things that will change in the meantime. So that I mean. Probably a twenty-five to thirty percent failure rate on the second time around. Yeah, so it's and Beachy. I mean, according to Cots, again, we've we've run some Kazino issues with him recently, but uh, I mean, he had a couple more uh, a couple more years of team control. But given that, I mean, I'm not entirely sure, confident in my evaluation of the uh, arbitration process, but I would assume still it's based on his most previous performances, and that would probably put him on a one-year deal. That's less sensible than than something in a two-year uh, neighborhood that the Braves... Yeah, I mean, Beachy, I was sort of surprised by a little bit more because I thought, yeah, he had more years of control. It was only $1.5 million, But his health situation is even more dire. Mm-hmm. He didn't even really pitch in between the two Tommy Johns. Yeah. He had Tommy John, tried to get on the mound. It didn't work, so... If I'm not mistaken, he had... And he had some health issues before he reached the major leagues, too. 
Yeah, and Daniel Hudson is actually on that non-tender list. So, uh, you know, I think Daniel Hudson was a similar situation. So, um, you know, I think I think that uh, I guess Beecher was just uh, maybe they wanted a sporting man spot or maybe they wanted to figure something else out with him. But, um, you know, Ebert Cabrera is, I think, more interesting because he's he's had fan, he's had more useful fantasy seasons than he's had useful real-life seasons, perhaps. Um, I mean, he's only had one season in his career where he was above average by above replacement. Hmm. And, um, you know, there are other seasons in there where he probably had a little bit more fantasy usefulness. I mean, he stole 44 bases one year, um, you know, and wasn't league average. So, in fact, that was pretty amazing. <laughs> bases and had 49 runs. That is Thank impressive. You. San Diego Padre. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I mean someone someone will probably give him major league deal but have a backup plan. I would yeah, guess. I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious to me that the Mets should be somewhat interested, but you know, it, there's also downside to this. Yeah. This guy has been arrested multiple times. Uh resisting arrest, drunken conduct, um beating his wife, uh, DUI. Um oh, and I didn't realize the list was that extensive. Yeah, and recent. There's a recent yes. one. Yeah, yeah. And that was with the the marijuana D, a DWI or DO, yeah, DUI or yeah. something. Best season he had, he got busted for PEDs that year. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, maybe it's not. Maybe it's still. Maybe it is a minor league deal. Yeah, I don't know. I think you know he's still a shortstop, and there's still a couple teams out there that need shortstop. So. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's not project. He's projected for a below average on base percentage, even for a, um, or just about average for a shortstop. He doesn't have any power. doesn't really have any patience, strikes out too much. Um, and his defense, it works at shortstop. So that's why somebody will give him a deal, but it's not plus. Mm -hmm. So he's pretty much just a warm body at shortstop. And, you know, maybe that Mantle won't do that because then maybe they say, well, Flores, you know, can be our warm body and he's cheaper. Yeah, that's a sensible way to look at it, I would think. You have to think that the Padres, you know, asked, you know, do you want Ever Cabrera? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. They may have just been tired of dealing with the headache as well. <laughs> and before we get out of here, we're going to, and this is more so, I don't even want to call it a preview because we're going to talk a little bit, but uh, we'll be talking about starting pitchers for the next couple of few episodes uh, as we get into uh, before the end of the year, the fiscal uh the calendar year uh and obviously starting pitchers have come out they came out at the beginning of this week we've already uh, seen several blogs on them uh some interesting players we're going to talk a little bit about the top 20 or 25 guys i think is a, a particular import or interest is uh in in the last pod we talked about <clears throat> uh for instance a potential you know number one starter who could move to boston and how cole hamels was too expensive uh, in terms of prospects for Boston, probably. Uh, and we got a Twitter response, uh, said, how about a Julio Tehran? And we also got a comment, and I'm not even sure how much we talked about Tehran on the last pod or if we did much at all. Uh, but what's interesting about that is it was a great suggestion. Eno pointed that out right away. And it's like, wow, that's exactly what I'm talking about, especially because the Braves are talking about moving people. Um, do you think of... Both fantasy and real life, is Julio Teheran an ace? The the only reason I pause is because 
he doesn't use his changeup more than I, I'd, I'd like him to use his changeup more. And uh, he's not really using it. That'd probably so. be a requirement in uh, AL East against these teams. I mean, I think that that's, I think, I mean, I don't have the data on that, but I've to me, it seems like changeup pitchers seem to do pretty well uh, in that league. Or at least pitchers. Yeah, you know, to be fair, he did use it a little bit more, but he, you know, he peaked at around seven or eight percent in terms of usage. So it's not a lot of usage. And um, uh, also, though, separately, um, I did just write about the Garrett Richards plan, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if he had more velocity, he'd be on the Garrett Richards plan <laughs> uh, because he's got a 19% whiff rate on a slider and a 13% whiff rate on or 12% whiff rate on his curve. So he has he has two capable breakers. Uh, the sinker uh, is good for better than 50% um, ground balls, and he uses the, the four-seamer high in the zone. He gets 11% whiffs on the four-seamer. So I think he's an ace. I think he's an ace because that change does get 13% whiffs so far. Um, and um, in terms of difference, he has a 10-mile-an-hour difference between his changeup and his four-seam, um, and he has about three inches of drop between his changeup and his four-seam. Uh, the only problem, I guess, is that his changeup is a little bit flatter than a sinker. His sinker actually drops more. And the difference between his changeup and a sinker is only about six miles an hour, or maybe seven. So in terms of sinker change, he's a little bit close. But if he paired the four-seam and the change, um, he would have the velocity gap and the tilt and the fade that he needs uh, to make that effective. And he can, he can basically... Uh, uh, do the forcing change against lefties, um, and that's what he does. Um, the uses the change almost as much as the slider and the curve against lefties. He uses the forcing twice as much as the sinker against lefties. Uh, so I guess in terms of you know pairing pitches, you would pair the forcing and the change against lefties a little bit more, and you would pair the sinker and the slider and curve against righties more. And that's that's what he's done. I mean, in those terms, he's at, he has everything he needs to, against both sides of the pit, at both against both sides of the plate. He's got uh, four pitches against both sides of the plate, five pitches in all. Um, you know, he, he really uh, figured out his uh, command. He's had above-average command for three years in a row. Um, not great ground ball rate, but uh, good velocity. Yeah, I think so. The only thing. You know, I'd, I'd like you know a little bit more velocity, but otherwise everything else checks out. I was going to ask about that. Is the velocity is this is this overly concerning? Um, when I look at and the two seamer actually plays into. I mean, because I guess on Fangrass or the the data there, uh, it probably combines the the four seam and the two seam, um, and really the four seamer has not lost a lot of velocity in neither and neither of the two seam, but the the pairing of them makes it look like just the the fastball is lost. Yeah, he's been using the two seamer a little bit more, and that changes right. things. But his fastball velocity, ninety one point five, uh, I would say, just sort of regularly. That's just average fastball velocity. Yeah, for writing. So, and so do you should, think is it possible that this is a conscious change for him, or is this uh, just loss of? Uh, I mean, he is. He's. This will be his age twenty four season, so it seems a little, little soon for him to start losing something physically. But uh, Felix Felix Hernandez made this kind of change, I think, kind of relatively early in his career. I think from from what I've seen of of aging curves, pretty much velocity just 
just falls. Right. So, um, but does it know, fall this rapidly? I guess. Yeah, it, it falls less rapidly at the beginning and then more rapidly at the end. And and starting pitchers are, are more well equipped to deal with the velocity of the loss because they've got more pitches. Okay. So uh, in that in that in that sense, it'd be nice. It's nice that he has a changeup. He doesn't throw that often and has had good results. Because as his velocity drops, he can then decide to throw more changeups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's so far he hasn't really he hasn't hit any sort of. Uh, scary benchmarks for breaking ball usage or, or, you know, or any of that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think he does, he looks like an ace. Uh, he's, he's pretty good. Um, you know, because of the the much, he's only owed $32 uh, million of the next six years versus a hundred million dollars. Um, you know, I do think there is more interest there. And I do think, the Braves would have to pick up the phone and listen if they were being offered something like uh, uh, Betts and Owens and, you know, all those guys. Because, you know, they do seem to be making moves that seem almost like a little bit like rebuilding. Yeah. That would be sort of one of those one fell swoop rebuilding process things. Yeah, I think I would ha- I would have to agree. Um, now, uh, we're going to talk about some other pitchers. Real, uh, real quick, where are we on – this came up on uh, the Andrew Kashner blog that went up this week. Is uh, uh, we had some kind of divergent opinions on him. Mike Potoser specifically uh, seems to just kind of expect some some regression in the numbers. I, I guess primarily because of strikeout rate, uh, and there's kind of a camp that uh, I want to say you had, but you're part of um, uh, because of the great pitches, the plethora of pitches. I mean, he has now he has two different sliders, and then. Is it two different change-ups? I have to go back and look. But uh, yeah, he's changed his grip on his change-up too. Yeah. I mean, which to me, I mean, it says it's a pitcher who's advancing. Um, it doesn't necessarily have. It's not necessarily going to show up in the numbers, or at least show up immediately. But it's a pitcher who's continually advancing um, his repertoire, which is not necessarily. A, uh, it's probably not a bad thing, um, although it may not. You know, it may not show up again. We may it may not show up in these numbers. Um, I like the long term prospects for Kashner. Obviously, health is really the main issue, and I and I tend to agree. I fall on that side. Uh, uh, Chris Wick is kind of uh, or and, and Dave Weirs. I'm sorry, Dave Weirs is the one who wrote the latest on blog, and I tend to side with that. I think that because the up, the upside is still there, and I think strikeouts could still be there, but it's, it seems like Kashner is focused on not necessarily getting strikeouts anymore. Yeah, I think that's that's what's so interesting about him is that he's chosen not to, to get those strikeouts and he's chosen to try and get quicker outs um, to preserve his arm. And even, uh, But even then. <laughs> even then. And it's not elbow stuff, it's shoulder stuff, which makes you really worried. So um, I, as much as I like him, if someone, if someone gave me a really great offer for him in um, a fantasy league, dynasty league situation, um, I would, uh, I'd take it because shoulder stuff doesn't go away and shoulder stuff kills your career. Um, so I, would take it. If, if I'm talking about redraft next year, then I like it because I think that the innings projections and the innings totals to date will keep them down. The strikeout rate itself uh, will keep them down. And the last time I talked to him, he said that, um, Latest wrinkle he's he's done is to throw the four seam more, to establish the high fastball and throw his curveball more, 
and uh, late last season was the best whiff rates he's ever gotten on his curveball. So, you know, if that's really something that he's adding, then that means he has the potential to have an average curveball, above average slider, above average change, and, you know, a great four-seam fastball and a great sinker. Um, that's everything you need. <laughs> you know, velocity, command, ground balls, uh, you know, and then Petco. I wouldn't focus too hard on the home runs for fly balls. I mean, well, it's Petco. I think because, I mean, he he does a great he – does, he does an outstanding job of um... – limiting base runners and I, I mean I think I think to move him to another ballpark uh, maybe he maybe he consciously goes after strikeouts slightly more often or something like that but uh, because I think I think the combination of things at Kashner and I've kind of I've been in, I've been in love with Kashner I've fallen out of love I've fallen back in love and I've fallen out of love but I'm still I'm still kind of in love with him because of the overall ability and I think you know after re, you know interviews I mean he is he is a very smart pitcher yeah. And I and you know he, he has everything you need, and that's why you like him. Yeah, he has everything you need except for uh, being act on the active roster most of the time. So that's <laughs> but, and, and that's nice because, like you said, the innings projection is going to depress the price alone. Um, but another thing that we you know we don't talk about too often, but it, you know free agency approaches, and. Um, you know, that this forcing curveball thing sounds like someone who wants more strikeouts. And uh, the only effect that there is for the free agency walk here uh, that, that we found is that pitchers, that, that people try to stay on the, on the field more. Um, there's no great effect in terms of performance. There's only a, a sort of durability effect um, that they sort of play through injury. So there's every sort of possibility that this year or next year are the best years of Cashner's career. Hmm. Uh, and uh, and that he one of these two years he puts together the big year that gets him the big contract, uh, and then he gets labrum surgery two years into that contract. <laughs> but <laughs> says thanks for the thanks for the money, fools. Right, or or he gives uh, the Padres a, a bevy of prospects this year. Um, so I think that they're you know they still see the great velocity, the great secondary pitches, the smart approach. Uh, good command, ground balls. They're going to keep him to begin the year, very at the least, and hope he turns in that eighth season that they can trade him away for prospects. I think. Certainly. And now Hutchison, Drew Hutchison, um, they kind of finished somewhere close to each other, although not for the same reasons. Um, and Hutchison had an ERA in the mid fours, and a lot of his peripherals say that that's not they should he shouldn't have been nearly that bad. Um, there's also and. and there are some potential issues with some other things. I mean, he uh, home run rate was a little bit of an issue that could remain an issue, uh, seeing uh, where he makes his home. Um, also, a bit of an issue um, in terms of his lefty righty splits, and not uh, this was only at times, I guess, because overall um, they they really weren't too bad. Uh, but an ISO against of more than 200 that says that there's, there's a definite potential issue. And, um, I, I, I think that there's legitimate concern overall about the ability, but we talked about, first of all, Russell Martin and a number of other things could have positive impact overall. You have to like this, this type of player Hutchison, I think. Uh, but there were some differing opinions in the comments on the Hutchison blog, uh, as far as, Hey, I want this guy. Hey, I, I don't, um, 
do you want to talk a little bit about more so about the, the, the things that you make you really like him? Yeah, I mean, uh, if you look at the traditional peripherals, the strikeout rate, swing strike rate, uh, walk rate, all pretty good. Uh, does give up a, a fair amount of fly balls, and that is a risk. And that's probably why he's projected for even more homers per nine next year uh, than he even had this year. Um, so, obviously, Steamer agrees that there's risk there. Steamer basically says he's going to do about the same thing next year. Um just poking around on his peripherals, uh, the highest home run rate on any of his pitches is the changeup to lefties, uh, which I think is a little bit weird. That is weird. Because, uh, that's who you use the change for. It's He uses it twice as much as the slider to lefties. And yet, uh, and it still gets 12.5% uh, whiffs, 13% whiffs. That's, that's about average whiffs against lefties. Gives up 2% homers. That's pretty bad. Uh, the slider still gets 19% whiffs against lefties and gives up 0.4% homers. So it really is the sinker and the change that are, are having trouble against uh, against lefties. In terms of movement, what, what leaps out of the page is that the change is only 6 miles per hour slower than the sinker. So perhaps uh, people can adjust to it well. But the, sink, the change still drops uh, 3 or 4 more inches uh, than more than its change and has more fade than it's changed. So let's say you're a batter and you're, you're geared up for a sinker at 92 or a four seam at 93. And then here comes the changeup. It's going to move three more inches uh, away from your bat. It's going to drop three to five more inches below your bat. What? I don't think that sounds like something that's like, oh, yeah, home run. Yeah, so but, maybe he's tipping something about it, or and hearing that makes me think. Okay, or it makes me wonder at least: uh, is there is there simply a plane issue? Is he not pitching down? Um, mm. so, something to that effect. Uh, I mean, because he's and he's also shown. I mean, he's or at least his past season, he had a bit of a. a I don't want to say it was a tendency because we you know we don't know how sticky that is, but the pop up he generated some pop ups. Uh, maybe he pitches. He does. He does throw the four seam high in the zone a lot. And. and um, I, th I mean, noticing, and, and I think what is interesting about this in some of the comments, cause I owned Hutchison, I drafted him in labor. Um, and then, I mean, I, I owned him in a few different leagues and the few I actually got to play in and he, depending on the league, I mean, he was either awesome or he was incredibly frustrating to own. Like you can't, it was hard to own him in a mixed league. Uh, and it was consistency from start to start and i couldn't figure out if it was just because he got an extra day of rest there was seemed to be some evidence that that was beneficial but you're talking about small samples and all this uh, an extra day of rest uh whether he was blown up his last start or anything like that but he was just very inconsistent from start to start and that's just the kind of thing that happens i mean this is also a guy who basically pitched only half a season prior coming off tommy john surgery so a lot of this stuff could get worked out as far as um, I think I like him, dude, because I'm, I'm looking. I'm I'm looking at this thing where you're talking about with the you know perhaps about where he pitches or how he pitches, um, and I'm looking at this changeup. His heat map for changeup against lefties, the the all the red areas are outside the zone away. So he's not even throwing in the zone. It's not like he's hanging changeups. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's no spot in the zone that's red. Mm -hmm. You know, all away, away, away. Um, and, uh, and if you look at the four seam, um, heat map, uh, it's all up in the zone and he throws inside. So it's not that he doesn't ever throw inside to lefties. Um, let me make sure that's true. 
Ah, he throws up and away a lot. Uh, doesn't throw inside a lot, but he throws inside enough that I wouldn't say, because, you know, well, I was looking at um, Hunter Strickland, the, the reliever for the Giants, mm-hmm. and he never throws inside, and he throws fastballs and sliders on the outside corner, and he can pepper that outside corner, so he has good command. But you saw Sal Perez just lean out there and hit a home run off a slider or a fastball 98 miles an hour on the, on the black on the outside corner because he never pitches inside, so everybody knows he's going outside. I don't see that same predictability from Hutchinson against lefties. Um, the changeup has good movement. It doesn't have a great uh, difference in speed, but it has good movement. And uh, he never hangs it, and he pitches inside with a four-seamer. So I don't see a reason for uh, Drew Hutchinson to be giving up a lot of homers off of his changeup. I mean, it seems like, yeah, based on this, and again, then it becomes there. There becomes a question of does he start to make the adjustment? But that's what uh, I mean. That's kind of what you factor in. There's a certain bit of adjustment or maturation that you kind of build in, even when you're talking about projection. That's a, that's just kind of what comes along with aging curves as well. And uh, to talk about this kind of thing for Hutchinson, Hutchinson would be to. Uh, Boy, I've suddenly lost the ability to kind of capture that, what I was trying to say there. Um, but you know, basically, I think is what you're, what you're talking about trying to do is uh, throw the change up uh, more effectively um, to see these things. I mean, from start to start, he was just incredibly inconsistent. Uh, yeah, really- he was really he – was, he was impossible to stream. We and- should also remember that uh, he didn't have a lot of time back uh, from Tommy John in 2013. Yeah, yeah. So, I mentioned that earlier. I think that that's that's in effect. This is his first season back, and it, maybe what we're seeing is good, uh, good control, uh, good control, but bad command, mm-hmm. um, and just a few pitches that ended up in the wrong spot and were home runs. So, uh, I, you know, in general, you show me a guy with strikeout rates like that in the minor leagues, and then uh, a 11 percent swing strike rate in the major leagues, a strikeout per inning against the American League. Uh, and better than average command, um, I'm reaching for him. Mm-hmm. And and you give him a catcher that might steal him a couple of strikes here and there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, you don't know, that, don't that, put too much that, stock in that. But overall, th- these things add up. Yeah, I mean, it might be really important. I was thinking, uh, to me, Hutchinson, uh, Stroman, and Norris or Sanchez, whoever else makes the rotation, those are the guys that could benefit from Martin the most. I'm not. I'm not looking for anything from Burley or Dickey, right. especially Dickey. I mean, how are you supposed to frame a knuckleball? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, maybe getting into a couple fewer two zero counts, or 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 then he doesn't have to throw anything that goes anywhere near the middle zone or whatever it is. I mean, just looking at the stuff that I tr- that I also normally look at in terms of um, you know whiff rates. Change up above average, slider above average, four seam elite. That sounds lovely. Now, before uh, before we get out of here, just real quick, let's touch top twenty pitchers. You say you asked me this before the program, so I'm stealing your question. Uh, top twenty guys that kind of scare you, or you don't see them being top twenty, maybe even remotely close top twenty next year. Yeah, and you gave me the the obvious. Uh, <laughs> I'm not calling you obvious. I'm sorry. You no, no, gave, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> you gave me the 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 the, the crew that people are going to look at most: Jake Arrieta, uh, Colin McHugh, um, Tanner uh, Roark. You already wrote about, but it's uh, Tanner Roark, uh, Phil Hughes, I guess. Tyson Ross. Um, you wrote about Lance Lynn. 
uh, most recently. Um, I think that's the crew that we're looking at. They're also, none of them are in the uh, top 15. If, if somebody in the top 15 drops out, I think it's injury. I'm probably looking at Adam Wainwright mm -hmm. in that regard. Uh, it's just a lot of breaking balls, a history of injury, 32, 34. I forget how old he is, but he's getting there. Um, so for me, Quato, Wainwright... Quato, Johnny Cueto has the history of the trunk problems. Not this, I, I don't know if he's beaten that, but he has made a slight change, I think, to, the, to that little extra turn he has. But who's to say that's going to continue to be enough? In terms of top 15, I think uh, Cueto, and, uh, Cueto and Wainwright are the ones that are most worrisome to me. Um, you know, at the very bottom of the top 15 is Garrett Richards. But the, the knee thing, he's young. I, I kind of believe in him. Mm -hmm. so, so, you know, the top 15 seems pretty, pretty strong to me. I think the thing about Richards is because the combination of the injury and there's probably going to be yeah. some – I mean, I don't think that he's going to – he's certainly not going to cost top 15 prices, but, I mean, he might not cost top 30 prices. And you'd be – So there's some, you, there's some reason to even like him. Right. I would, I would think that so. I mean, I would think you would, you would so, especially so like now, So now we're, yeah, now we're looking at 16 through 25, and that's where you get a lot of risk. Jake Arrieta, Tanner Roark. Tanner Roark worries me because, as I said in my piece, the sinker is not great. Mm -hmm. um, and it, get, it got 42% ground balls that last year for its career – the sinker gets below average ground balls. That just, I mean, yes, I think it's great that he found the sinker and that he found success, and I love him to death. He's a really nice guy. I just see a few more homers leaving the park off of that sinker, especially from lefties. Um, so, your word, he, he'll keep the strikeout rate, but the strikeout rate in this day and age is not that good. Right. So I think he'll be like a 3.6, 3.7 guy with like a 115 ERA, um, you know, and, the, and, the, and that strikeout rate. So that's... Uh, I'm scanning down here. That's like Mike Leak territory. Mm -hmm. um, you know, top 70 pitcher. Uh, still useful. I mean, people ask me, you know, like, you know, is he not useful at all? And I think that's still useful. I think Mike Leak is actually a pretty decent spot for him to end up. Um, now, um... but uh, yeah, so I think Tanner Roark is my pick because Arietta is just throwing a ton of sliders. And if he can stay healthy in the, the year, I think he can, he can keep it up. Yeah, I was going to ask. Same now, thing for you. Yeah, that's was. Arietta and McHugh, they basically run into the same issue. Is it, yeah. you, know, will, you know, will they stay healthy? And McHugh is probably, because of the mileage, a little bigger of a, of a risk. And the, no, I think less of a risk. Oh, oh, because uh, he He's is... He's less. Has he? Yeah. Is he older? Uh, I believe so, 27. And Arietta I thought it was 26. No, I'm sorry, wow, Arietta will be 29 this year. My yeah. God, Arietta he's been around a lot longer than I realized. Yeah, and Arietta's had injury issues. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, to me, uh, Tanner Rourke and Jake Arietta is my answer. And for different reasons. Arietta, I think, will get hurt. Uh, Tanner Rourke will give up more home runs. Doug Fister, um, I think, you know, is a risk for getting hurt. Um and also, he's really walking a tightrope when it comes to command. Mm -hmm. uh, not command, in terms of uh, strikeouts. So he's really all about command. And, um, you know, if he got traded, uh, you know, or ended up in some situation in the American League or something, it'd be a lot worse for him. Um, and I think I could see some injury risk there. Uh, Phil Hughes actually has underwhelming stuff. Um, you know, 
as much as I like his, what he did with Command this last year, um, and, and he did like broke records for K minus uh, walks. Um, if you look at just the per pitch numbers, um, he had a averageish curve, a slightly above average curveball, and a good four seam. It's based basically on the good four seam. Phil Hughes actually walked to the same number of uh, hitters that he uh, number of hitters that he gave up home runs. He gave up 16 home runs and walked 16 guys. Yeah. So I mean, it's a good, it's a good fastball. It's a rise ball. But it's not a rise ball as much as some other pitchers. Uh, he gets, he has about a nine four. It's not, yeah. I I think Hughes is also a candidate for regression. Yeah, I think significantly because, um, I mean, this is a type of record-setting season Cliff Lee had a few years ago. But Cliff Lee had a still a a, a nicer track record for the overall for Better. the walk rate. Yeah. So I mean, I would I would not be so. I don't think it'd even be bold to regress Hughes' walk rate back to like around two per nine innings or somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting overall, obviously the move to Minnesota is fantastic. It's going to be, it, the fall won't be nearly as hard as it was with the Yankees probably, but uh, in, in any of those other years. And we are talking about overall more mature pitcher, but in a way like Hughes is the opposite of Rourke where Hughes is all about his fastball and the secondary stuff is really mad. And uh, Rourke's secondary stuff is pretty good. Uh, at least in terms of outcomes and his, his fastballs, man. So I think it's fair to look at both of those guys and say, something's missing. You're not quite, you know, an elite starter with those peripherals. Whereas a guy like McEwen and Arietta, it's like, oh, you're just basically throwing the breaking ball 40% of the time. Uh, I think a lot of people would look good if they did that. <laughs> and uh, I think before we get out um... – we talk real quick about Tyson Ross as a guy. I mean, we I've seen him mentioned as a as a um, a couple of blogs as kind of a guy. Hey, that's this is a guy we can come back to as a top, top twenty five, top thirty type starting pitcher probably, but he might not cost that much. Um, but we've talked about in the past why that might be a danger to think so. And I would you know, real quickly, I think we could talk about Lance Lynn because I did get some conflicting opinions uh, on the blog about him as well. But um, Ross, yeah, both fastball slider guys, right, and. and I mean, Ross in particular. I mean, maybe Ross is a little better equipped even to to hold those changes uh, uh, in terms of the results. He's done it a couple of years in a row. Um, but well, I mean, Lynn is a little bit craftier and has you know kind of an arm slot thing he does, and you know I I, I kind of actually believe that Lynn can hold it off more than Ross because uh, Ross's fastball, despite being fast, does not get great whips. Yeah, and, it's, it's pretty straight, if I'm not mistaken, on the movements. Yeah, and his his mechanics are god awful. Okay, so and he's uh, he's probably an injury candidate. I think very much so, and a velocity loss candidate. See, I kind of just pictured, I kind of assumed, and this is maybe just a uh, poor reason to assume, but I mean that the the huge spike in the ground ball rate that he was guy consistently can deliver decent results. Um, probably a little more so than Lynn because I do buy and some of these guys brought us some good points about Lynn namely like you said the the arm slot thing it seems like he has reached a point where he is release point is pretty consistently uh, the same for all pitches at least it was this past season I I don't know you you might you you might know how easy it is for to repeat that kind of success and then there's also uh, uh, but I, I without that kind of thing I still have doubts about how much, how much better I guess the results can be. 
uh, against, which basically a two-pitch mix against left-handed batters. Both of them make me nervous. Yeah, uh, both yeah. Both of them make me nervous. That's probably the takeaway, ultimately, is just... <laughs> I don't think them's going to show up on my sleeper list, especially since how can they really be great sleepers if they were top 25 last year? Right. Uh, I mean, We have some breaking news. Uh-oh. Uh, the Mariners have acquired Jay Happ for the Blue Jays from Michael Saunders. Woo! Uh, that's going to break all the news tickers. <laughs> uh, I have never been impressed from Jay Happ from watching him. I'm going to drop into his uh, whiff rates now, and I'm still unimpressed. Uh, very much so unimpressed. Um, Looks like a, an average fastball, slightly above average fastball rise ball for a lefty. So he's got this uh, rising fastball that's decent for a lefty. Uh, and then he's got a cutter uh, that gets above average whiffs. And uh, everything else sucks. Um, so I, I'm not putting him, even though he's in Seattle, I'm not putting him on a list. I think they might even consider putting him in the pen. Yeah, that would probably uh, be... I th- he that's that this is a team that seems to be gearing up. He might be like he's like the number six starter. Yeah. Swingman type. Not very interesting. Michael Saunders, I think, does become more interesting. He's got an injury bug and became a platoon guy last year, mm-hmm. which is bad. Uh, but he's a lefty at least. Um, and I think he becomes somewhere between uh, a deep league and a mixed league. I'm not sure he's a mixed league uh, sleeper, but um I'd spend a buck on him in a, in a mix in a fifteen team mixed league to throw him yeah. in there because uh, because of the the left handed bat and the move to the ballpark and I mean that's my reaction but he twenty eight years old there was a, not, yeah he's still young yeah yeah still phys, I think I mean there was a physical change a few years ago when he started I mean he I don't know if you ever saw, it was a fun video to watch uh, and of course who knows if that actually was going to at the time result in anything drastically different but he swings like a 60 ounce bat or 75 ounce bat or something ridiculous in bp like in at least in the off season and uh, it didn't necessarily make him a much uh, smarter hitter or anything like that but the ball went a little farther and uh, i think it probably gave him a little bit better bat control uh, overall and so i think f- physically at least i mean he's still not a 100 percent disciplined hitter um, but there's some good physical ability there. It's it's not a bad Colby play, uh, Colby Rasmus replacement or Anthony Ghost also gone. So, and he's uh, they'll slot him. Of course, he'll be in the corner. Uh, I guess it's just a question of uh, what goes on in center field. I'm probably overlooking somebody there. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting deep league play. I think with Saunders there in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that is going to do it for this episode of the Sleeper and the Bust. Eno, thank you very much, as always, for helping us to shed some wisdom, shed some light on the, the fantasy values of the latest Newsy and Rotographsy Newsy players in fantasy. Yes, it was fun. <laughs> I decided to uh, next week probably uh, come at you live from the from the uh, winter meetings, and uh, hopefully, uh, and I also love pitchers. So the next couple of weeks are going to be great. We're going to be talking pitching for the most part, uh, pitching and news. Uh, which is which is uh, right up my alley. Yes. And, uh, thank you for listening uh, here in the off season. 
Yes, we thank you all for continuing to listen. We we really appreciate the feedback, and don't be afraid, as you have uh, not been already, to throw us some questions. Until next time, this is episode number 181 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I am your host, Nicholas Minix. Thank you, and you all have a great day. Boom.